All right, welcome into the Natural Hat Trick Podcast, episode 53, the Derek Morris edition. I believe this officially kicks off year two of this show. Luke Lipinski alongside Jamie Eisner, excited and happy as, as always. And Craig Morgan is just dancing in circles like he always does during the podcast. People can't see it because there's no cameras in here. but I whoa, get whoa, twisted whoa. up in the courts. There actually is a camera in here. It's just not on. Well, yeah, whatever, Jamie. Whatever. Yeah. Wait, we want to be factual on the show. We want our listeners to know that we're always accurate. They would never know. Your name might not even be Jamie Eisner. For all they know, you could be Wayne Gretzky. They don't know. They can probably tell by your voice. I'm lost. Okay. Yeah, I don't even know where to go with that. Well, they don't know. There's not a camera that's on in here. Anyway, it's episode They can probably tell by my, my voice. You could be throwing it's an it. audio. Yeah. <laughs> I'm running it through a filter? Yeah, the Jamie Eisner filter. Jamie Eisner, Jimmy Hoffa. Mm-hmm. See? Think about I, I've that. never seen those two in the same place. This just blew my mind. Coincidence? So, right, here we are. This. The, uh, the NHL season starts in two weeks. The World Cup is, uh, is almost over. Um, <laughs> you sound relieved. I just, you know, if you, if you go back and listen to, to previous episodes of this show, and I highly recommend that you listen to all 52 over and over again because they build on each other. It's, and it's kind of bro- like. And we're just absolutely brilliant. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but it's, it's well, like Breaking the- Bad. <laughs> just every episode builds on another, doesn't it? <laughs> Craig, stop dancing yes. for that one. <laughs> yeah, I think with slightly less meth usage. Well, anyway, <laughs> slightly. <laughs> if you go back to previous episodes, the the three of us talking about the World Cup, I was the most excited of the three of us about the World Cup. Wasn't a high bar to clear. Yeah. No, it wasn't. But I was definitely in the middle, though, considering where you were. Yeah, I yeah. was. I was underground. I will not watch any games. I no. lied. I ended up watching one game. The full game? Yeah, close to it. It was I all in the background. I knew, it. I knew you were lying. Yeah. Uh, watch one game. I just want it to be over. <laughs> I just. Yeah. I mean, for so many reasons, not the least of which I'm sure is the fact that the U.S. failed to show up for a tournament, but we already knew that going in. It's just, we didn't get the matchups I wanted. It feels like it's dragging on. And as I said last week, you can't, I'm starting to get convinced this podcast is the only place that's previewing the NHL season. Every other (laughs) hockey outlet is only talking about the World Cup. Yeah, and that's overkill because I don't, I just don't get the sense that the interest is there. Uh, you know, we're in, we're in Arizona, so that might factor into it, but I, I don't believe that the interest in the World Cup of Hockey is high in most American markets, so I, I'm not sure why we're dedicating so much time. I know, I know why the NHL is doing it, because this could be <laughs> the Olympic replacement someday, but yeah, a lot of problems with it. Uh, no, I, I get why it's being hyped up, but I mean, at a certain point, we are. Because they made a lot of money. The NHL season starts in two weeks from when we're recording this. The preseason has already started. But they made a lot of money. Okay, well, they've made it. They can stop talking about it. Canada's going to sweep they right through make it more money. and go undefeated. But your actual product on the ice, your NHL product, makes you a lot of money. I just It's been amazing to me that it's, it's almost impossible to find any sort of team previews anywhere. Like Austin Matthews, that's a pretty compelling storyline. He's going to be playing for Toronto. Was that a shameless plug by Luke for all of his team previews on today's Slapshot? I think he wrote all but one of them, didn't he? I did. I, did. I left okay. one for you. I wonder who wrote the other wrote one. Did you write the other one, or did you just leave it I did there? write the okay. other one, yes. yes. They're all up there. You can, you can find them. But it's also a shameless plug for this podcast because we have already previewed. Daddy, daddy. 26. Can we isolate that soundbite? I won't talk over it next time. Um, 26 we still don't have any other soundbites for this show, do we? Well, as you mentioned last week, does anybody produce this show? I believe were your exact words, which I thought was <laughs> kind of Did I say rude. that? Wow. Into the wow. mic. On did I really air. say that? Yes, you did. I didn't say that. I never said that. 
I can find the audio. Channeling Donald Trump here. Yes. I never said that. That is a mainstream media fabrication. I don't think he used fabrication, though. You keep this up, you're going to be president. It's a big word. Anyway, as I've tried to promote our own show. It's a biggie word. We've we've previewed 26 of the teams. We're going to do two more today. Uh, We're going to do the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we are going to talk about Austin Matthews outside of the Team North America uh, scope with uh, James Myrtle of the Globe and Mail. He also does some work for TSN. 1050 up in Canada, and then we're going to talk to Joe Yurden about the Buffalo Sabres. So two of the the more exciting young teams that I don't think Toronto is going to push for a playoff spot this year. I actually kind of think Buffalo maybe could, and then Toronto, I don't think it's out of the uh, the realm of possibility they push for a spot next year. But they're two relevant teams. Buffalo is already on that journey back up, and they have a ton of young players, and they could very well push for a playoff spot in the East. And, and Toronto, regardless of how they finish this year, is going to be relevant all season, no matter what. So you mentioned the, uh, the World Cup, and you mentioned the Olympics briefly there, Craig. My, my perception all along was that the World Cup was basically put in place to kind of transition the NHL away from being in the Olympics. Am I, am I wrong on that assumption? Well, I don't think you can take that final step yet but it's it's certainly an insurance policy and it's certainly leverage against the olympics that they don't get what they want here you saw what bill daly said yesterday you know that he's not feeling good about the olympics at this point so i think you can make that argument certainly but i I think a lot it's important to a lot of players it's important to a lot of coaches to play for their nation so i don't think we can make that final leap yet it's funny because i made that final leap like two years ago before they even really finalized the world cup but uh it's gonna bring a real interesting potential conflict to light if we get to the point where NHL players are being told they can't go play in the Olympics because they have NHL games just scheduled right through the Olympics. I can't see that going over well, certainly with Alex Ovechkin, (laughs) and he's not the only one, right? I mean, we are going to see players, and and I almost wonder if maybe it will be more players that that play for Team Russia or or one of the other teams overseas simply saying, look, I want to play for my country. It's an Olympic gold medal. That's that's different than the World Cup. It just is. I wonder how much pushback they'll get from the players, from the PA, even from some coaches, if, if they try and push that through, if that's their agenda at this, at this point. It's, it's hard to say where this will go. Again, this could just be posturing that we're seeing right now, but I would imagine they would get some pushback because it is important to enough players. Yeah, and then the question is going to be, what do the players, what are they willing to give back? <laughs> there it is. It's so, so always about concessions. Well, in that's order, in order looking to to ahead to the next CBA. Since you brought it up. That's going to be tough, though, because in that situation, you're asking all the players to give something up at the CBA for a select few to get to go to the Olympics. That's that's a good way to uh, divide the players' union, right? Well, there. that's I mean, these are these are collective bargaining negotiations, and I think the league would love nothing more than to create some friction on the other side. And you know, usually when you have those situations and you're talking about money. It's usually the players that are not star players that are affected most by those negotiations because, again, if you're making several million dollars a year, it's a little bit easier for you to sustain missing a few paychecks than if you're on the veterans' minimum. So this is going to be a rare case where the star players are actually the players that are going to be pushing to get something versus the, the lower-level paid players who are just pushing to get a job back. Could Jamie even made the next uh, CBA negotiations entertaining for me. Like, I'm kind of looking forward to those. Not really. Um, Last thing on the World Cup, too. It's inevitable that you're going to see injuries anytime you have hockey games being played among the best players. But as we talked about last week, Tyler Sagan, Aaron Ekblad uh, suffering. We don't know how significant of injuries just yet. But now 
you know, since that last show, Marion Gabrick's out eight weeks for L.A. Matt Murray's probably out six weeks for the Penguins with a broken hand uh, after playing goal for Team North America. I don't know. I mean, is there is there any sort of difference? I know there's the argument floating around out there that, well, if this was the Olympics and it's during the season and they've already been playing for three months, maybe players are less prone to injury. But then you start to look at these injuries, and, like, Matt Murray, you either break your hand in September or February. Yeah. It's not like... It's not like that happened because he hadn't played hockey in three months. You're playing a contact sport. Injuries are going to happen. If, yeah. you, if you're trying, you know, if it's not the all-star game, injuries are going to happen. Yeah, and the angst over getting injured in a non-NHL game is always going to exist. I do wonder if players will look at this and say, this isn't even the Olympics. Why am I getting injured in the World Cup of Hockey? I wonder if, if NHL teams will look at that same thing, you know, general managers and owners and say, wait a minute, is, is this even worth it? Now I've just lost a really key piece of my team. But the counter-argument to that would be you're going to play preseason hockey games, so how is it any different than getting hurt in a preseason game? I mean, I think that is a very – it's a very good question. Now, I'm sure the competitive level is higher, and, you know, you maybe they're hitting harder. But I don't know. You watch – I mean, you were at that game Monday night. Did it look like those guys were not trying to play to win? No. I mean, the, the Coyotes-Kings uh, game on, on Monday night, yeah. The, the thing with the preseason is then you have to factor in, yeah, it's not all-star players. In fact, a lot of them sit out a decent uh, majority of the uh, the preseason games. But then you've got guys fighting for jobs that realize I maybe need to hit a star player just to make a name for myself. So it is a different uh, brand of hockey, but it's I don't think it's any less physical. Yeah, so I mean, at that point, you know, look what happened with Clark MacArthur. I mean, with a, with a player that is fighting for a roster spot uh, with a hit on him. So it's tough. I mean, whenever any star gets hurt at any level, it's Olympics, whether it's preseason. You know, I mean, NFL players get hurt in the preseason. We hear every year, well, why are they playing four preseason games? I mean, it's going to happen. It's a I don't know sport. why they're playing four preseason. I don't want to. I don't. I don't, I don't want to watch either, any preseason games in the NFL. But that's just me. But yeah, I mean, I don't. I think the players do either, actually. But no, they don't. Not not the ones that are already in the league. In fact, I, I know they don't. That, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a theory. That's been proven. All right, uh, a couple other things to get to. This is the league's centennial season. It is. Um, that wasn't a question. That was more of a statement. It was this a rhetorical question? Oh, yeah, okay. okay. I'll just be quiet. I don't even know if it's rhetorical. I think it was just the... It was more me just segueing, basically. Just and, point uh, to me when you want me to talk. Okay. I'll just okay. turn this way then, away from you. Uh, <laughs> flip, flip the switch on Craig's back when you want him to pull the strings. Whoa. Whoa. You're talking about that pack on my back? I don't see that. Conspiracy. Ooh. He's dancing What's again. What's that for? See? I'm sorry. You're always making some <laughs> obscure movie You know movie those reptile reference. people that you always hear conspiracy theorists talk about? No. Okay. I'm just, I don't know why I mentioned it. I just wanted to bring it up. Are they listening? Yeah. We like them if they're listening, much like clowns. We established that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Patches. Big fan of clowns. Anyway. I like all of you. <laughs> if I told you, both of you, Craig, you can answer this one as well. This is not a rhetorical question. How nice of you. If um, you need to pick somebody to act as hockey's ambassador for the NHL's centennial season, who would you pick? Well... If I had anyone in the history of the NHL, I would have picked Gordie Howe, but okay. sadly that is no longer possible. So the choice they made was the obvious choice in Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th I think Rafi Torres was busy. Maybe that was a rhetorical question now that I think about it. Again, so Wayne Gretzky, you want me to talk. Wayne Gretzky is the guy. Uh, a pretty, like you said, Craig, a pretty obvious choice, and you know he'll handle it pretty well. It's weird. We haven't really seen Wayne Gretzky as the face of the league. In a little while, like, yeah, I know and that's by design. He's he's withdrawn a bit. Oh boy! Uh, Guess what we just got? Oh, it's no. been a few weeks. 
What did we just get? Oh, Craig, Craig Morgan know. got so, his uh, his paycheck under the door again. It's been a, it's been a few episodes since we've had this happen. If I grab that, can do I get it? Because he hasn't moved for it. Yet. I also believe that's odd because Keith you, said he also mailed one to me. So I'm, wow, I guess I'm getting, maybe double getting double pay. Double pay. Got something else in there. Can we pay Craig? Hang like, on a minute. I, I don't. You guys, talk amongst talk yourselves. amongst our. <laughs> you hear like a crackling noise. Less financially well off selves. Uh, I don't watch wrestling, but you know the wrestling, Jamie, maybe you can answer this, where they drop the briefcase and everybody has to fight for it and it's full of whatever. Uh, if, that's kind. That's a very interesting way to put it because that's kind of true, but not really. Well, I but, told you I don't watch wrestling, so if you want to explain it better. the way I they, it, It's more like they hang it from above and then everybody fights. Yeah, to try but to they get drop it. it out of the ceiling and then it's hanging and they have to yeah. climb up a ladder, don't they? Yeah. Okay, well, then we should do that with Craig's paycheck every pay, week. I thought I told Keith that I only fly first class. These tickets, uh, never mind. Let's get back to the show. These tickets to Maui where I'm researching hockey are, are not first class. RFAs, there's still a, a pretty decent amount of... Mm, some big names. Some very big names. Off the top of my head, uh, Nikita Kucherov, who to me I think is the biggest name. I know Johnny Gaudreau is still unsigned too, so they're right there. But I looked at Kucherov's stats yesterday and looked at, closer at his game to write something for today's Slapshot. The man is Mr. Consistency. Uh, so good. I remember this last year when Andre Palats and Tyler Johnson were hurt or they were struggling. The other 67% of the triplets line, Kucherov, just the exact same stats. Never wavers in the playoffs. He's even better. He's unsigned. Him and Gaudreau right now stand out to me as the biggest names, but they're not the only ones. Jacob Truba's out there and his agent's requesting a trade. And That's true. We should get Tobias Reeder of the Coyotes locally, who hadn't requested a trade until today when I talked to him this morning. And he said it's probably best if the two sides just agree to a trade now. He, that Toby is very disappointed in the wow. Coyotes. So that was you can the see, agent. yeah, that's the agent. Okay. The agent on the record telling me that, and that'll be in a story later. But it, it's you know it's another stage in the negotiation. You never know how to read these things, whether it's real, whether he, he, they're at an impasse that you know they won't solve. But yeah, it's we're, we're two weeks away from the season, as you mentioned at the top here, and there are some really big names out there now. Yeah. So this this becomes a concern, and part of this is the cap situation. A lot of teams are in, of course. It's 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 a different league now, so it, it's really hard to get these deals done. But when you look at some of the numbers that are being requested, if you're if you're following Bob McKenzie's timeline today, you can get a sense of most of those numbers. I mean, if Johnny Gaudreau is truly asking for eight million plus every year, you know that's 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 a big number for Brad to fit. I'm sorry, B, B, to fit into his budget. Well, that's about what Sidney Crosby makes per year, mm. at least his cap hit. So I'm not sure if Goudreau's quite there yet. No. This is the pendulum swinging back the other way because of how reliant teams in professional sports in general, but particularly the NHL, have to rely on young players that are really, really good to fit under their salary cap. This is the bounce back where you have a little stretch here where you have a lot of team control. Those elite players are starting to look at their RFA years as not, oh, well, we'll take what we can and then we'll move on to unrestricted free agency. They're saying, no, 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 I want my big contract right now. And this is this is the shift. It was very team-friendly for a while. Now some of the elite players are starting to push back. Can we play a dirge for the bridge contract? Yeah. At least for elite players. It's, it's like it's going away. No. Anybody who would, you would almost really want to sign to a bridge contract will not sign a bridge contract anymore. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, it's... I keep saying this, but the puck drops on the season in two weeks. These are some big names. And, yes, you can make the argument, like with a guy like Kucherov, he was playing for Russia in the World Cup. So it doesn't matter that he's missing camp, per se, other than the fact that he's maybe not going to be on the same page as his teammates. And Kucherov maybe isn't the best example 
just because it, it seems like they're going to get him signed. Tampa Bay seems to expect that. We haven't really heard from him, but when we had Roy Cummings on a couple weeks ago, he seemed pretty confident it would get done right, probably right before the start of the season because you sort of have that deadline that forces people to, to wake up and speed up negotiations. But if Goudreau's asking for that much, you're right. That's really tough for Calgary. I mean, at that point, you're starting to sort of mess up the foundation of the team because you're tying so much up in one player. But I want to go back to two guys you just mentioned, Craig. Jacob Truba is asking for a trade. There's got to be 29 teams, maybe not St. Louis. There's got to be 28 teams lining up <laughs> asking about Jacob Truba, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there should be a really good market for him. But is, is Winnipeg even interested in trading him? It's, it's, it's hard to know. You know again, you, you get to this point in negotiations, a lot of times this, this threat is simply posturing. It's, it's simply to get a deal done. You just never know where the truth lies. Because, first of all, you never hear from the players. You're hearing from an agent who you assume speaks for the player. Yeah. Maybe not entirely, though, right? It's, it's, okay, you've put your trust in my hands, so I am going to do the talking for you. Maybe not everything that you believe is, is you know, in line with what I'm saying right now, but I'm negotiating, so you have to accept that I'm going to go a few steps beyond what you might say. Yeah, and, and ultimately, this is really the only recourse a player has. I, I mean, you can talk about offer sheets all you want, but in the case of Jacob Truba, just we're going to match the offer sheet. So if he goes and signs an offer sheet with, let's say, Edmonton, which, again, which is a – might as well see a unicorn than see a player sign an offer sheet with Edmonton. But <laughs> if he were to do that, and all it does is just essentially guarantee that he's going to play in Winnipeg. Yeah, exactly. So there's really nothing else he can do other than say, I guess, leave – he could leave the country and go play in, in, in Europe, or he can demand a trade. That's really all they can do as an RFA. There was a shot of Peter Chiarelli in there. You had to listen closely to hear it, but it was in there. Uh, Truba, to me, and Toby Reader, too. I mean, like you said, Craig, when, when you have the agent doing the talking, you're, you're kind of – it's almost like hearing something secondhand, or you're starting to get the message maybe diluted a little bit because you're not sure if the player feels that way fully or if the – Maybe maybe Toby Reader is disappointed, but he's not demanding a trade. But the agent's saying he's we got to you need to trade him. It's best for everybody because, like you said, it's posturing. But at what point does that come back and maybe affect the actual player when he does resign with his team? As ninety five percent of these guys ultimately do, and then you're in that locker room, and the agent isn't in the locker room, and you've got a little bit of explaining to do. Uh, yeah. I'm sure the other players are very well aware of the, the contract negotiations, and I'm sure they know. Uh, first off, for all players in general, do you want your other players to get the best deals possible because yeah. you it have helps a pool your market. of money? Yeah, it helps your market value, yeah. and, it, and all players will acknowledge that publicly too. They'll say it's just business yeah. publicly. Where Yes, publicly. Yeah, They'll I, say it. I think it's a little different, though, in the locker room. I, I don't. I don't uh, think. I don't think players have an issue with this sort of thing, unless you know there there are some instances. I think in the past, like, when you look at Kyle Turris' yeah, situation, exactly what I was thinking I, about. I think that was a different situation, yes, but that that, that, that had was, a lot of. There were a lot of exterior motives. There. Yeah, no, these Kyle Turris the wasn't well that. liked in the Coyotes. Yeah, locker I'm room. not sure it changes whatever opinions of that player that already exists. That's right. fair. And but unless publicly they said, I don't want to play with these guys. I'm better than them, and right. they don't deserve. Okay, that, then you're just trashing your locker room. Yeah, and of course, you're not right. Gonna There's not them. enough talent here. I'm not surrounded by enough talent, which is essentially what Kyle Turris was. Does that yeah. was what Kyle Turris was saying yeah. here. So but that's a different story. Saying I'd like to make a quarter of a million dollars more than what they're offering me, I don't think they're gonna be like, oh man, I can't believe this guy. Well, he came in. I mean, if you. If you talk to some of the people that have been around, Kyle Turris came in with a sense of entitlement from the time he arrived, and 
that did not sit well with what was at the time a veteran-laden team. Yeah. It didn't sit well with them at all. So that's a different situation. Toby's really well-liked in that locker room. I'm not saying know. Toby, but like I don't know Jacob Truba's situation. I don't, I don't feel like they don't like him in Winnipeg by any means. But I'm right. just saying in general, you, you start to maybe throw a little bit, maybe two years down the line, so it comes yeah, up again. Yeah, I'd say more so with the organization with, than with your teammates, that's though. And, and the, the, the odd thing in all of this is the fact that Dave Tippett is not only the coach now, he's, he, he's part of the hockey operations staff. Does that add a wrinkle in here? You know, he's, he's not necessarily talking contract, but I'm, I'm sure he has some hand in it. So when your coach is part of the brain trust that is denying you the money that you want, how does that impact that relationship? Now, Dave, Dave says it's still good. He had dinner with him in Montreal during the World Cup of Hockey. But, again, we're not hearing from Toby. But it's also it's human nature. You have to even if Dave Tippett might be in there pounding the table, saying no, you have to get this, you got to get him signed yeah. with this money. But it doesn't matter because they haven't yet. And the perception is going to be it's them versus me, at least until the contract's done. And again, that's why I mean I think that's got to be church and state when it comes to contract negotiations because wow. you just you can't have it's again human nature. It's incredibly difficult to look at somebody that in your mind at some point because rarely does a player throw out a number and the team goes okay, we're done here. Church so at and some state point, reference. Yeah. So at some point, like it. you have to think in the back of your mind, eh, that's the guy that cost me some amount of dollars. Could be a little, could be a lot. And at some point, you have to think about that. Whether it's true or what's not true, it's perception. Well, and we see, we've seen it in other leagues. In the NFL, we have a coach GM. There are two vastly different jobs. And at some point, your coach has to be able to say, to say well, that, you know, you did your contract. Well, that was with your GM. That's not me. I want you to play this, this, and this, and, you know, you deal with that. You, you can't quite do that. And can create some problems. And I was speaking more just in, in generalities, but you guys are, are focusing specifically on Reader. It's interesting because he, in a lot of ways, is the definition of a Dave Tippett-type player. Mm-hmm. But at this point, the Coyotes only have so much room left under the cap that they can actually give him. So I know you can massage it a little bit. You can get rid of a guy. You can do whatever. But it's not just as simple as, oh, we have this money here, but we don't want to give it to you. They would have to make other moves. They'd have to shuffle some stuff around and... It's just it's getting more complicated that one at least and I, and I don't know what things are like with Truba and Winnipeg but the Coyotes one is getting more complicated as we get closer to the season. And yeah. fair or unfair, you're trying to set a precedent. You have a new GM. You're trying to you're kind of you know if, if you're saying this is the type of value we want to pay a player, whatever formula you use, you have to kind of stick to it. And as we've seen GMs do for better or for worse, once they started throwing around those no trade clauses, no movement clauses, now that's not an issue in this case, but like Candy. It becomes a lot more difficult to tell a player later, well, yeah, we don't give those out. Right, and when you start deviating from comparables as well, that's, yeah. that, that also creates Slippery a slope. problem. And look, you, when, you, when you look at Toby Reader's value around this league, I've talked to agents off the record. I've talked to executives off the record. Everybody thinks, everybody thinks he's asking for too much money. Well, they think the Coyotes are right here. So it's, it's a tough sell. And I think, you know, if, if you just isolate Truba and Reader. You've got two guys that are still relatively unproven in this league, but if Truba misses games or misses preseason time or training camp, he's still going to be in high demand. Whereas I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong here, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I know you will. Maybe if I'm right, you're going to correct me. I feel like Reader is still sort of in the prove-it stage. And just simply by the position he plays, he is a versatile and a very important, I think, forward for the Coyotes. But he's also one that they can replace because they have a ton of versatile forward prospects. And so it's not going to be ideal to have to slide a prospect in there instead of Reader. But they've got pieces where they can replace him, whereas Jacob Truba, by the nature of the position he plays and by how established he sort of already is, even at a young age, 
he's got a little more leverage, and by a little, I mean a lot more leverage than Reader does, I think. Yeah, that's fair to say. Uh, I should probably restate what I just said, not off the record with those agents and executives, but not for quote. That's a distinction that's important to me yeah. in my business. If it were off the record, we wouldn't be talking about it at all. That's, that's true. Yeah, I'd, have to, I'd have to just delete it from the show. Um, it makes me sad when Jamie talks about deleting parts of the show. Well, it's not deleting parts of the show. It's blatantly forgetting to record them. Oh, okay. well, I did that once. It was just one podcast that nobody will ever hear, but we all remember. I, I think it was episode two or three. It was really early. It was. But, and that's it had just to be two because I think Craig joined us in episode three as a special guest. And yeah. He just never left. He sabotaged number two, and he was going to so, continue to do it until we let him in here. That's not how J- Jamie characterized it. I think he, you said disastrous when you were talking about number two. Close. <laughs> I, I think that was one, actually. If I'm, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that where we just went? We just named like a ton of centers and tried to rank them? I don't know. I, I feel like it's a reminder to people that if you want to be certain to hear the podcast, just come away and watch with just the live stand studio the audience. Yeah. Centers? Any centers? Yeah. We, we Patrick talked about, Ewing. We talked about – yeah. We talked about – Will Champlain. No. Talking about elite centers. This, this Stamco's conversation goes all the way back to episode two. Oh, yeah. No, Jamie has, has dug his heels we, in. We, we talked about that for a long time. If I, if I recall, episode two last year, we specifically said Penguins over the Sharks in the Stanley Cup. Uh, in what, I think we said about six games, and then sure. look, it, it ended up being exactly right. That's exactly what we said. Yeah, that's what we said. I'm going to bring up something that, that no. may make Craig Morgan cry, or it might just it might fire him up. Uh-oh. Are we going to Artemi Panarin? We are. Mm. How, much, uh, how much would you pay Artemi Panarin, knowing full well that the Blackhawks don't have a ton of money available to, to pay guys with? Six million? Six million a year for, for six what, years. What he's right? asking? That's yeah, for six years. Point. Remember what I said about RFA players wanting to... That's concerning. He wants some Brandon Very Sod. concerning. He wants Brandon Sod money. Yeah. Um, that's exactly right. That's, he, that's the perfect comparison. He has done Sod more was asking than Sod, though, already. Well, uh, total game? No, I just, I mean, he, he had a more yeah. productive season than yeah, Sons monstrously productive season yeah. <laughs> playing with Patrick Keane. But, yeah, he, he did put up a lot of points, and he's got ridiculous skill and creates offense and does a lot of nice things on the ice. But that's a big number. That's a big number. I don't think the Blackhawks can do that. And I sure as heck don't want them to trade yet another big-name RFA when he enters his RFA season like they did with Brandon Sod. That's the key distinction. By the way, languishing in Columbus. I'll mention this every yeah. time we mention his name. <laughs> Haha, you're playing in Columbus with John Tortorella. It's just going to make you more sad. Oh. Oh, I oh. figured one of you was going to say it, and I got stuck saying it. We can delete that from the podcast. No, no. You're going to highlight that. Um, key distinction there, Craig. They would pay Panarin that much if they just if money was no object, right? If this was just baseball, cap hit was no object. Yeah, if there was if cap hit wasn't an issue and this is baseball and you could just pay anybody as much as you wanted. I don't. Panarin's got to do it again for another year, but if he does the same thing, he's worth probably six million a year. Sure, I, I can see that. If if former Blackhawks owner William Wirtz hadn't pushed so hard for the salary cap that is keeping them from paying him, I, I could see them paying him. It's a lot of sub text when you uh, when you make a statement there's irony in there isn't there with, there, with there the black is. cab situation there yeah. is uh, and the rest of the league feels so bad for them too mm-hmm. yeah no you can you can almost feel the the other 29 teams collectively shedding a tear today uh vladimir sabotka is going back to the khl it's something we talked about in the past when we had jeremy rutherford on well they were they were hoping that he was coming yeah. i mean that's yeah. one of the pieces that they were hoping would really help so that's that's a blow to them that's uh, yet another blow to St. Louis. And, and Jeremy, when he was talking about it, made it kind of seem like it was not quite inevitable, but pretty close. Like, oh, yeah, he's, there's a, you know, he, they weren't sure if he was going to come to camp, but he kind of was optimistic about it. Oh, you know, they're hoping he's going to come to camp after the World Cup, and 
We'll see where we go from there. All you got to do is just buy him out of his KHL contract. Well, yet. It's not. So there it's you better go. than your sod thing. Do we? We don't need to bring that up. Fifty-three episodes. I make one stupid joke. No, that there's no way that that number is only one. I'm pretty not, sure. Not a chance. <laughs> I'm not even sure it's one. And I'm pretty sure you guys have made that joke before. I was just. I don't. Yeah, know but it's happened. much funnier when we say it. Uh, I don't know if that's right, accurate. Craig? No. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Team up on me. If you're going to team up on me, I'm going to bring you Kyle Quincy news just to bring oh, the, boy. the show to the Made a deal with home. the Devils. See, that's almost as bad. So that was much better, actually. Yeah, it was, it was so much better. It was great, right, actually. Whatever. That's, I'm out. You guys can finish the show by yourselves. <laughs> Kyle Quincy's going to New Jersey. I can't, I can't leave because I just want to talk about Kyle Quincy and that Devil's blue line. Uh, as we've mentioned in the past, they didn't have an NHL blue line in, in that they literally didn't have six NHL players to play on their blue line. I really don't think that sentence needed to be in past tense. Okay. <laughs> so this doesn't change anything? Yeah, what has changed? Jamie, doesn't Jamie have something he has to go work on? I feel like he does, doesn't he? As we have said, he is a defenseman on a hockey on, team. On a team. Yeah. Uh, and Dennis Seidenberg, it sounds like, is going to sign with the Islanders. That reports okay. are. I'm just passing along the news. I didn't make the news. We're really scraping the barrel now, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, it's, it's getting rough. And it, maybe Andrew we should Shaw, move on. Andrew Shaw may get suspended for actual It's not a black anymore. So you don't care. He's a punk. <laughs> <laughs> If you had to rank your feelings towards Andrew Shaw stronger or weaker than they are for Brandon Saad at this point? Yeah, on the Rafi Torres scale of Blackhawks hate, weaker. how many, how many, how many Tori? How many Tori? That, that's going to be the plural version of Torres's. All right, we're done talking about uh, Rafi Torres and Andrew Shaw. We're going to talk Toronto Maple Leafs right now with James Myrtle of the Globe and Mail. All right, as we look ahead now to uh, to one of the more up-and-coming teams in the NHL, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think all eyes more so even this year than, than normal maybe will be on Toronto. We're joined by James Myrtle of the Globe and Mail. Uh, James, first of all, thanks so much for the time today. Can you give us sort of a glimpse into Austin Matthews' mania? We're obviously familiar with him here in, in Arizona. And, and does it exist in such a, a large, cosmopolitan, hockey-savvy city? And, and if so, how is it manifesting itself? It's starting, you know. Today was the first day of training camp. I think having the World Cup here and having Austin Matthews be play a starring role on that Team North America, the under twenty four team. I think that 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 helped ignite the buzz. I think, and it, it's kind of it's kind of strange, really, with Austin Matthews in the sense that historically, when the Leafs have had uh, a draft pick, they obviously they haven't had a first overall pick in, in in thirty years before before Matthews, but. Historically, when they've had a high pick like a Nazem Kadri or a Luke Shen or one of these guys, they tend to get very overhyped. There tends to be a lot of attention around these guys and uh, almost an overwhelming amount, and they have a hard time performing to the level that they've kind of been hyped up to. I almost feel like with Austin Matthews that he hasn't been hyped enough given how good he's going to be, and I think that that's, I think people are going to be in this city are going to be pleasantly surprised when they when they see how he can perform in the NHL and it's almost like people are kind of reserving their judgment or reserving their excitement uh, and waiting and seeing what he's going to be but it, it's building and I think that that first regular season game is when we're really going to start to to get a sense of that and I think that's when we're going to start to see the Matthews jerseys and you know him kind of dominating airtime in this city more and more. James, what are the internal expectations for Austin this season? Uh, well, you know, the Leafs aren't, aren't saying exactly, but he's lucky in a sense that, you know, the Leafs aren't really, they don't have their hopes set on being a playoff team or, or anything like that. They want to have some improvement. And 
they're going to try and keep the expectations modest for Matthews. You know, they they want to keep them as as low as they reasonably can, so that when he outperforms them, then it's it's kind of a good news story. And that that was kind of what they did. The management team in Toronto did last year as well. Is that they kind of set expectations really really low for the fan base, and it ended up working out really well for them. You know, Mike Babcock came in and said, "This is going to be painful. You know, it's going to be hard. There's going to be." You know, we're uh, potentially we're going to lose a lot of games, and that's what Brendan Shanahan has done. Is that this rebuild is going to be hard? It's going to be painful. They're trying to not put unrealistic expectations on any of the players, and I think that that's the same thing for Matthews. And that's why that I think Mike Babcock made that comment a few weeks ago that that Austin Matthews would start out as the team's third line center. Well, talent-wise, there's no way he's a third line center, but it's all part of them trying to make this kind of a slow build and trying to kind of contain the hype that's around the team because that's gotten away from the Leafs in the past. James, you did just touched on this with one aspect of this brain trust, but with, with their approach at least, but with Shanahan, with Lamorell, with Babcock, is it, is it the belief there, is it your belief that they finally have the pieces in place from, from that standpoint to maybe end the long Stanley Cup drought or at least create the possibility of ending it? I think that yeah, I mean, there's a lot more confidence in, in the front office than there's been in a long time. I mean, this is a team that's been mismanaged since, you know, over a decade. Um, you know, it's, it went from John Ferguson and ownership problems, and Brian Burke came in and I think took the wrong approach where he didn't want to do the kind of rebuild that Brendan Shanahan is, is trying here. And then it was kind of the, the friends of Burke took over with Dave Nolanis and Claude Lazelle and Dave Poulin, and it was it was a mess here for a long, long time. And there was a lot of short-term thinking. Uh, there were a lot of really bad free agent signings. You go back over all of the long contracts that the Leafs have signed in the last 10 to 12 years, and almost all of them have been completely terrible. So, you know, the, the shift now is that Brendan Shanahan has brought in a lot of really smart people. He's brought in people that have had success in recent years, and Lou Lamorello and Mike Babcock and I think there's there's kind of a cautious optimism in a fan base that's used to being disappointed all the time. Talking to uh, James Myrtle of the Globe and Mail, you can find him on Twitter, at Myrtle. Uh, James, how have the fans in Toronto embraced the, the process of this rebuild? How much longer can they maybe expect them to stay patient, or is, are the hockey fans in that city ever truly patient? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the weird thing, is that I don't know that we've ever seen the Leafs really go through a rebuild process like this and have a lot of the high-end prospects and you know I think that they've embraced it a lot and I I think that I give credit to Brendan Shanahan for coming in and and explaining what he was going to do and explaining along the way what he was doing and being very honest with the fans about where they are and how long it's going to take and he hasn't said an exact time frame on it but he said it's going to be take longer probably than we want it to and longer than you want it to but that's the nature of where we are and how we're going to get better and I think that the fan base has bought that. I mean, they were finally so fed up with how dysfunctional the team was um, and all of the attempts at quick fixes and, and, and trying not to rebuild. I think that the, the time was right for someone to come in and, and do this. And, you know, now what they're hoping for is that the road up is going to start. And I think the expectations are modest this year, but I can certainly see, you know, next season people are going to be saying, well, potentially this could be a playoff team and you know that's when the disappointment might start but I think they've got another year here where it's kind of uh, those expectations are low and and 
they've got time on their side right now. We'll get to uh, some of the other young players that we haven't mentioned yet in a moment. Um, obviously, plenty of talk in Arizona, so similar situations. Uh, but I wanted to stop for a moment and ask you about the Leafs' decision to bring in Frederick Anderson. What convinced them that he's their number one goaltender, that he is the solution to the problems that they've had there? Well, they liked what he did in Anaheim. You know, they liked how he played in, in the postseason. Um, they they like that they feel he projects to be a guy that can be a difference-making number one goalie, and that's why they gave him the big contract, the five years at, you know, $5 million a year. Uh, it's a lot of money for a guy, so I think he's only played 125 NHL games. So, you know, I'm personally a little bit skeptical that he's what they think he is, but that's going to be a, a huge part of this rebuild is, is Frederick Anderson a number one goalie? Is is he an average number one goalie? Is he a good one? Is he a great one? Is he a poor one? You know, and obviously, I mean, you guys know that goaltending can make such a big difference in the NHL. And they've taken a bit of a gamble on Frederick Anderson. They like his personality. They like his track record to now. They feel like that he projects to continue to get better. And, and we're going to see if that happens here. James, shifting back to some of the prospects, there's obviously a lot there that aren't named Austin Matthews. And one of them that stands out Mitch Marner doesn't have anything left to prove in junior, but is he a lock to make this team in your mind? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I really do think so. I mean, what's going to happen is they're going to give him that nine-game audition that most top prospects get, uh, and potentially even a 40-game audition because, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, junior players can go back uh, before they, they hit that 40-game mark. So, But I think that his talent level is so high that there's not really going to be, they're not going to have to think about sending him back. You know, they've got that safeguard there. If they need to use it, I don't think they're going to. And just watching him in the Leafs' first exhibition game the other day, he really stands out for the what he can create with his hands and with his speed. And, you know, I think if you're thinking of comparables, it could be, if things work out for Mitch Marner, it could be kind of like a Johnny Goodrow kind of situation where no, he doesn't have the size. He, he's a small guy. He's worked really hard to put on weight, and he's still just under 170 pounds. He's never going to be a big guy. Um, he's going to have to use sort of sleight of hand and those kind of things to, to create offense. But I think he's going to be able to do that, and I think the NHL is trending more and more in that direction, and that that's going to, going to work out well for the Leafs and for Mitch Marner. Kind of along those same lines, uh, William Nylander got to play a little bit last year, 22 games, looked good, uh, maybe kind of gets lost in the shuffle, at least from an outsider's perspective. Where do you see him fitting in? He's fun to watch. You know, he, he's great with the puck. He's supremely confident. He's another guy that's trained very hard and not a huge guy, but I think that he's going to be able to put on some weight and be a really strong player, strong on his feet. And the thing that impressed me last year with William Nylander is how well he worked a power play. I mean, he looked like a veteran player when he was out there with the puck on the power play. Uh, He was able to make some veteran players on the other team look kind of silly with some of the moves he made. You know, overall, we got a little taste of William Nylander last year in the NHL, just at the end of the season. I think that this year is going to be different. I mean, this is going to be such an exciting team to watch, where last year it was really anything but. It was kind of a makeshift roster that was changing throughout the year. A lot of veteran guys that they were looking to trade or looking to boost their trade value. This year it's going to be more like that Young Guns team, where you know if it's not 
uh, Matthews going one night, it's going to be Marner going another night, and if it's not him, it could be Nylander, or maybe they're playing together on a line, and then they're all going. you got Morgan Riley on the back end. I think this is going to be one of those teams that people around the league are going to want to tune into and, and see, and maybe they're not winning all the time, but they're still going to be exciting to watch. You just mentioned Morgan Riley. Todd McClellan raved about him at the World Cup. Uh, so did Dave Tippett, actually, when he returned. I'm not sure how much respect the Leafs' defensive core gets. What's your read on this unit right now? No, and I don't think that they necessarily deserve any respect right now. I mean, it was a tough year for the blue line last year. There are a lot of question marks there. You know, I, I really like Morgan Riley. I just don't know if he's a, you know, a number one defenseman. Maybe he ends up being a number two. Maybe he's a guy who's much better on the offensive side of the puck than the defensive side. Those are the kind of the things we're still trying to figure out with Morgan Riley, you know, three years into his NHL career. He's certainly got the kind of um, mental side of the game down, and I could see him potentially being a fit as a, a future captain of the Maple Leafs. Just a really smart kid, works really, really hard, understands the game very well, um, great skater, great with the puck. He's been working on things like his shot and, and his work on the power play could be a big breakout year for Morgan Riley and you know he's going to have to lead the way for them because they don't really have another candidate to be a number one defenseman on this team and then you get into you know the question marks I was talking about um, Nikita Zaitsev who they brought over from Russia who played very well for Russia at the World Cup uh, Connor Carrick a young guy they traded for last year from Washington um, they've got Frank Corrado they've got Martin Marincin they've, they've got a lot of guys where you say well he, he, he's probably uh a third-pair guy or a number-seven defenseman, and uh, the Leafs have to hope that some of them can be twos, threes, and fours. James, I'm going to go back up front for a second. Nazem Kadri will be 26 right around the start of the season. Just based on the way he plays, is he sort of always destined to be underappreciated? In, in your mind, have we seen his best hockey, or does he still have another level maybe he can hit? I, I, we haven't seen his best numbers. You know, I, I thought he played pretty decent last year. He he was matched up against other teams' top lines, and it was a long year in that, obviously, they finished last, but, you know, the Leafs were five points out of a playoff spot in January last year, which I think a lot of people forget. James Van Riemsdyk breaks his foot. He had been their best player to that point. He had been the left winger with Kadri. I think if Van Riemsdyk had stayed healthy, if they had kept that line together, that Kadri would have hit career highs offensively. James Van Riemsdyk would have hit career highs offensively. And they just work so well together. So I think that with more offensive firepower on this Leafs team, with more uh, cohesion and and um, just keeping the roster together for most of the year, which wasn't happening last year, I think we could see Kadri have a breakthrough year where he gets noticed more around the league. And he gets some ice time with one of those young kids, and, and, and they take off. You know, I think that that could work out very, very well. But... For the first time in quite a long time, the Leafs have some really nice offensive depth, and I think they're going to score quite a few more goals than they did last year. James, I asked you in a question I sent you, is Matt Martin a rich man's John Scott? Probably too loaded a question given all that happened to John Scott last year, but is that essentially his role there to protect the young guys, play a physical game, and and maybe bring a little bit more than John Scott can bring to the table? Yeah, I mean, they they gave him a four-year deal for $10 bucks. You know, they... They look at what he did with the Islanders where he was on that fourth line that was relatively effective for them and was able to play 10, 11 minutes a night. And I think that that's probably what they're looking for from Matt Martin. You know, it's he's not going to be the guy that just sits on the end of the bench. He's going to take a pretty regular shift. Um, 
they like his toughness. They like his size. They like his attitude. Um, I think they overpaid for him. But uh, the other thing, too, is, I mean, you look at, at some of the, the data on Matt Martin, and he's been a relatively effective defensive player, not necessarily offensively, but they're hoping he can chip in, you know, 8 to 12 goals, be solid defensively, bring that toughness, and, and occasionally have to step up if, if someone challenges one of their kids. I want to pause for a moment simply to uh, note that you are joining us on your birthday. Thank you. I, I never would have asked had I known that. I would not have made you work, which is something you'll never hear from your editors say to you. But um, I know you've been at the World Cup of Hockey as well. We saw one of the photos you tweeted from the first game of the final series with uh, half-empty stands. I guess I would put it that way. What has the overall response to the World Cup of Hockey been? It's been mixed. It's been mixed. I mean... It's kind of like Blue Jays fever here in Toronto right now with them headed to the playoffs again. And that's been a really big sports story in Toronto. And then you've got the Leafs and Austin Matthews and all those kinds of things. You know, the World Cup, they did sell a lot of tickets. But in terms of the enthusiasm, it's, it, it's been just okay. You know, and I think that that has to be expected given this event hadn't been played in 12 years. I remember the last time they did it in 2004 it was right after I had moved into the city and it was pretty underwhelming then too it wasn't necessarily embraced and I think the World Cup would probably benefit from going to another city even though they might not be able to sell the ticket packages for as much money I think there'd be more buzz around the city there'd be more excitement about having Team Canada there Toronto's just it's it's a big place there's a lot going on they're up against the Blue Jays Blue Jays people aren't used to watching high-end hockey in September and, uh, you know, with the two made-up teams and all these kinds of things, I think that had the event had some things working against it. But, you know, I was looking at the TV ratings across Canada earlier today, and they've been pretty good. I mean, the Canada-Russia game was well over 3 million people, which in this country is, I mean, that's close to 10% of the population. You know, it's, it's not like people aren't paying attention. Um, I think that just having, if they would have got a better matchup in the final, if it would have been Team USA against Canada, or even Russia or Sweden against Canada, I think that there would have been more buzz about this final series than, than having Team Europe there. James, thanks for the insights. Really appreciate you joining us on your birthday. Uh, hopefully you can get off to that celebration now. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, James. That's James Myrtle of what, 1050 TSN Radio, of the Globe and Mail. I, the guy covers everything in Toronto, and there's a lot going on in Toronto right now, of course, with the uh, the Maple Leafs excitement starting up. Does Maple Leafs excitement ever die down in Toronto? I just feel like it's, it's constantly going, even when they're struggling. Yeah, I, and I, sometimes I wonder if the outside perception is entirely true. As, as James just mentioned, there's, there's a lot of buzz around the Blue Jays right now. So yeah. it is a very large cosmopolitan city, great city, fantastic city worth visiting. Uh, so maybe, maybe we uh, aren't giving them credit for enough sophistication and variation in tastes. But clearly hockey is still number well, yeah, one in, I mean, in this market. And it, if the Leafs do rise as many of us see them doing with with some of the talent they have the city could become insane i i think it's interesting what he tweeted out and then said about the world cup i mean i i think there is certainly a perception of you know canada went through this tournament and i'm not saying they haven't been tested but i think a lot of people wanted to see them play sweden if they were going to win the whole thing and i personally really wanted to see them play north america now Russia played them very well in the semis, mm-hmm. and it was a good game, and uh, take nothing away from what Russia did. But I think Canada's run through this tournament would have been more compelling to an audience outside of Canada if they had to go through North America and Sweden in the uh, the, the Final Four. But 
to, to hear his sort of commentary on it, maybe the tournament itself would actually be better off not being in Toronto because it's kind of getting lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of introspection about this tournament. You know, there, there are a lot of things, as he said, that you have to consider. I'm, I'm not so sure that Sweden was the draw that you wanted. Uh, Russia is a, an historic rival of Canada's. I think that would have been a good matchup. Obviously, you'd like to see the U.S. We talked about that last week. That wasn't anything close to happening. Well, that um, wasn't the or North US America, either. but yes, exactly. There were probably better matchups for this finals that would have drawn better than this one is. It, it, it's a shame in a way because, as, as we mentioned last week, Team Europe is a terrific story when you consider all the disparate parts coming together to get to the finals of this tournament. But there are a lot of issues with this tournament. And, you know, as we found out yesterday from Bill Daly, the Olympics are on the ropes here, too. There's, 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 he, he called it, uh, he's less optimistic about than he was earlier. I don't know if that's posturing to try and you know, get, get their way in negotiations or if, if that's real. But if this becomes the event that we have to look forward to in terms of international hockey, they have some work to do. There's, there's a lot of work to do on this event. Yeah, there's, I mean, I said this at, at the outset. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily like the format of the final being a best of three. I, I don't, as we sit here and record this, taking nothing away from what Team Europe has done and just in terms of a, of a pure hockey fans perspective on this they've been the best storyline of this tournament because they had to overcome adversity no other team in this tournament really had to do that or they at least had obstacles I shouldn't say adversity but they had to overcome some obstacles just to to be competitive in this tournament and now they are a team that's in the final but there's no way they're beating Canada twice in three games and there's certainly no way they're beating Canada twice in a row in Canada I mean I just I don't like that format just because for me, a short a short tournament like this, I want to see I want to see the possibility of an upset, and and I don't think we ever are going to have that in the finals. Yeah, it, it, so you're saying a one game, you need a one yeah, game just, final. Just, yeah, just it does it does create more intrigue. More there's more on the line in that one game, and I think a lot of people look at this now and say, well, there's there's no way they're winning game two, and no. I'm not sure what the stands are going to look like for game two. But getting back to the other thing that James talked about with us, the Leafs. I've always maintained that. I think most people are in agreement. I know there are people that don't like the Leafs, people in Montreal, for starters, people in Buffalo. <laughs> Jamie, is that another one of the teams on your list? Jamie uh, sitting this one out, but he's Jamie still in the room. He's kind of here, though, so he's, he's kind of here like He's got an ice bag on his head right now. He doesn't have a microphone that yeah, works. I, I want to cut down this, na- this hangover narrative oh. <laughs> right, na- right now. But I don't know if Buffalo is one of those teams. They're not. I like Buffalo. I like Toronto, but Toronto... <sighs> Can we move this bucket? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what? Uh, no, Toronto's not one of those teams right now. That uh, although the Austin Matthews contract negotiations were interesting, but they have not reached a. They're like I don't know, point three Shirelli's on my on my scale. <laughs> All right, I'm it's I'm a not great a band name. Point three Shirelli's. Yeah, I like that Shirelli's. is fantastic. Uh, I'm I'm not a so-called original six guy where I want to see all those teams, and I, I have a problem if they're not succeeding, but. Having Toronto good is good for the NHL. It really is. They are a marquee franchise. It's, it's a fantastic market. I want to see this team rise up again. I, I want to see them competing for cups. I kind of view them as the Chicago Cubs of hockey, so I could see why you would have a small affinity. It, has, it hasn't been quite that long. <laughs> In fact, it hasn't been anywhere near that long. But but, but that's the sort – I mean, it's, it's such a passionate fan base. They really have – like if you talk to a Maple Leafs fan and they're not they're not in a, in a bitter stage. If you just talk to them and, and get their their passion about their team, you so would, not right after the playoffs yeah, no, or the regular season, right I should the say. Uh, it, it, like at the start of the season, this would be the time to talk to one. I, it would it would feel like that's a team that wins the cup every five or six years. 
and what is it? It's been like 50 now. I mean, it's been so long since they've won. But, you know, to your point, I, I'm not even going so much uh, along the lines of it's better for hockey if Toronto's good. I just like to see teams that have been down for a while start to become interesting and compelling. And, you know, to, to James's point, I always kind of do the, the NHL center ice test where if my favorite team isn't playing one night and I'm just flicking through the games, which game am I stopping on? And for the longest time, if the Maple Leafs were on, I couldn't, I couldn't scroll past that game quickly mm-hmm. enough. But now with Austin Matthews there, who's obviously a huge draw to us here in Arizona, and is in, he is the biggest draw. He was number one pick for a reason. But also with Mitch Marner and William Nylander, it's not just Austin Matthews. That's a team that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, and I like their white jerseys too. Well, there you go. <laughs> can't get inside like that anywhere else. No, you can't. This is next level analysis right here. I tell you what, the one thing he did say that, that stood out to me, you know, the hype for Austin Matthews, certainly here, we've been hearing about it for three, four years now, and then he goes and plays over in, in Switzerland. There's a big deal there, too. But he said the hype in Toronto is almost lower than it should be. And I, I kind of think it is sort of what he said. If they've just been burned before, getting <laughs> so excited and getting their hopes up that, yeah, Austin Matthews, he's not going to let them down. But they're actually showing a little restraint in Toronto. It's like a whole new era of Maple Leafs fans. Well, I, I think that's part of it. I, I do think that's part of it. That's fair after half a century. <laughs> but as, as we noted earlier, too, it's, it's, a, it's a major city. It's a cosmopolitan city. There, there are a lot of interests in Toronto beyond hockey, even though it's one of the dominant interests. All right, you mentioned the, uh, the rivalry with Buffalo. We are now going to talk to uh, Joe Yurden, the Buffalo Sabres correspondent of NHL.com, to get his thoughts on another up-and-coming team in that area. All right, we continue our summer preview series with one of the more exciting young teams in the Eastern Conference, the Buffalo Sabres, and we are joined now by NHL.com Sabres correspondent Joe Yurden. You can find him on Twitter, at Joe Yurden. Uh, Joe, Joe, first of all, thanks for joining us. And just in general, with the, with camp starting up, what is the uh, the atmosphere around the Sabres team, and, and what are maybe some realistic expectations for the 2016-17 season? You know what? I think there's, I think there's a lot of excitement about this team. I, I think people see... You know, you get Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt going into their second season, and you know you've got those guys in here. They bring in Dmitry Kulikov, and you know a lot of the questions that they were having about uh, the roster and uh, you know some of the holes that they had last year. I think there's, I think there's a lot of expectation, high expectations here that the team's going to get back to the postseason. You know, you, you have a healthy Robin Leonard, you have a healthy Evander Kane, you've got a uh, healthy Tyler Ennis. I mean it. A lot of guys who can produce offense, and a lot of guys who can stop the other two from scoring, who are who are back and have feeling well. So, you know, things are very positive right now. It's, you know, I mean, we're only a week in a camp, but things are feeling good. All right, let's let's dive into some of those names you just mentioned. Of course, top of that list for me is Jack Eichel. Uh, what's the next step for him in his development? I, in some ways, it would seem like he's got the perfect complement to help him at center in Ryan O'Reilly. Is he ready to become the big man on this team? Well, it's, I mean, as far as being the main man, it, it's a lot to ask a, a kid to do that right away. Um, certainly he showed last season, uh, the, the second half of the year, that that he's a guy who's very capable of doing a lot of damage offensively. And his skill set, his speed, his ability to handle the puck, he's a guy that's just so different from a lot of other people they have on this roster. And, you know, I think for him... The way he progresses this year is going to be very, very interesting to watch because, you know, the, the ability that he has, I mean, he can be a game-breaker. He's, he's an absolute game-breaking type of player. 
And I, I think for him, if he takes that next step, he can. He's a guy who could push for thirty goals. He's a guy who could push for, you know, sixty, sixty, maybe seventy points if all things go well. I mean, the team where you know offense was better last year, but it was tough for it to be worse than it was in the, the previous two seasons. But uh, you know, you you look at the guys that they have, and the, the, the possibilities are, are endless there for these guys. I think there's a good chance this team can score a lot this season, and you know, Eichel's going to be a big focus on that because. You know, he and Sam Reinhardt work so well together. I think I think you're going to see Evander Kane on that left side of that line once again. And, you know, that line was, was really strong at the end of last season. So it'll be very interesting to see how those guys all put it together here in year two. It's certainly a lot of uh, compelling offensive options for this team and the defense seems to be on the way up as well but you mentioned Robin Leonard earlier you know just 97 career NHL starts and you know he's looked fine when he's been out there but how confident are they that he can he can be the guy and shoulder the load for you know 50 plus games to, to potentially get this team back to the playoffs well I tell you what he came into camp this year about 40 pounds lighter than he came into camp last year now mind you circumstances last year were a bit different because you know he wasn't able to work out at all during the summer last season uh, because he had a concussion and it kept him off the ice the entire summer. So when he came into camp for for training camp, it was it was a bad scene because he was out of shape. He wasn't able to, you know, to do things you know, the way he wanted to and he had to start from basically start from scratch in camp and you know, he, he said that, you know, that didn't cause his injury in game one last year where, you know, he gets a high ankle sprain and the season's basically ruined from that point on. But um, you know he's he's in shape. You know he's been working out with a, with an MMA instructor. I mean, I mean, you, you think he's already an intense guy working out with an MMA trainer, and it's so well, it's you know an intimidating guy gets a little scarier. He's noticeably more in shape. He's he looked very fast in goal in his first preseason game. So it's a much different guy than we've seen in the past when when it comes to Robin Leonard. To me, that only means good things for him, and it means good things for the Sabres. It might be bad things for the rest of the Atlantic Division. Trying to score on a guy who's just so athletic and so fast in that. Joe, I'm trying to lift my chin off the table here. You said 40 pounds, right? Four zero. Yeah, it, it it sounds it sounds a bit. It's a small child, crazy, but it, it, we believe it, we believe it's about 40 pounds. Because um, he came into camp really heavy. You don't know what his official weigh-in number was. What was he eating? He was a big boy last year. He was he was a, he was a he was a big fella. I mean, he's a big guy anyway. He's six four, six foot four goalie. So I mean, that you know, that kind of weight spreads out. But I mean, he's 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 a ripped, strong guy this year. I mean, it's 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 night and day difference. I mean, Josh Georges said he didn't even recognize him. I saw first day of camp. So hmm. you know, it, it's it's noticeable amongst his teammates how much better how much better shape he's in. I want to ask you. You mentioned Evander Kane as well, and, and his where he might match up on this on this team or end up in terms of lines. Is this his last chance with all that has been happening off the ice for Evander Kane? It's uh, it's a season where he's he's got to do the you know, he's got to prove other people wrong again, kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I you look at what's happened here in the past. You know, you're starting with you know you can start back in December with what happened there, and you know that that got cleared legally, and you know now this thing with what happened around draft weekend, I mean, it's not good. And you know, Evander knows it's not good, but I, there's another part of him that believes that you know this is the kind of thing that happens to pro athletes, and you know he 
may have a slight point there, but I think for him he's got to realize that you know this isn't people coming out of the woodwork to be you know to be nasty to him and to try to ruin his life. This is, you know, a lot of this happens because he's in the wrong places. He's, he's hanging out at the wrong times and doing that sort of thing. But you know, for him, if he comes out and he plays hockey and he does his thing and he, he plays well, you know, I, I, yeah, I think as far as the team's concerned, as long as he you know he doesn't run into more legal trouble, I think everything will be fine. But you know, obviously there's some issues. There's some issues there that have to get settled out. I know the team's not happy with having to deal with this, you know, twice in six months. But um, you know, I, he's another guy who's coming to camp looking, you know, looking fit as anything. Not that he was ever in bad shape, but I mean, he looks he looks even even stronger than he has in the past. So, you know, when, when it's a band of the player, if he can if he can keep it straight and keep it good. I think, you know, maybe that's the kind of thing that can keep the, uh, you know, keep a band of the socialite in check because things are going great on the ice and maybe, maybe that's something that's going to keep him out of trouble off. Joe, I want to shift the focus back to Sam Reinhardt for a second. You mentioned him earlier, and obviously Jack Eichel gets all the headlines, but Reinhardt was the number two overall pick the year before Jack Eichel. He had 23 goals last year. Is he somebody that could potentially be leading this team in goals year in and year out? He, he finished just one behind Eichel last year with 23. I mean, that's a pretty good start. Yeah, you know, I think Sam took everybody by surprise last year. I don't, I don't think anybody expected that kind of output from him, and, and I don't think anybody expected him to play the way that he played. You know, I don't think I think when you look at Sam Reiner, you don't expect him to be a guy that's going to go to the front of the net and you know fight off defenders around there and, and be a you know a rebound menace, you know, around the goaltender. I mean, you always think of guys like Tomas Holmstrom or you know the, the bigger guys that just just camp out. And Sam's not that not that size of a guy, but. You know, he was so effective around around the net and down low, and he's you know he might be the smartest player. I think he's definitely the smartest hockey player on the Sabres roster. He might be one of the smartest players in the league. His hockey sense is just off the chart. I think that's where a lot of his success comes because he knows where the right spots in the ice are. He knows where his teammates are going to be, and I think that's what makes it work out so well with him and Jack and and Evander on a line together because. You know, those two guys are the flash and dash and, and the you know the super high skill and you know Sam's the, the brains of the operation and he's the he's the guy who can you know make those guys look even better than they are by by just being in the right spot and, and knowing where to put the puck. But you know I think I think Sam's the guy that he could either he could either lead the team in goals or lead the team in assists and neither one would be a surprise because he just has that kind of ability. He's just such a heady, smart player and you know I think that that kind of thing really gets it flies under the radar with a lot of players because, you know, it's a lot of skill, it's a lot of talent, but I think if you don't have the brains to go with it, sometimes a lot of that gets lost. Sam's got it Sam's got it working for him, and, you know, he's done a lot of work to get better. He's gotten stronger, become a better skater than he was, you know, two years ago. I think when he got drafted, the biggest criticism of him was that he was a terrible skater, but it's not the case anymore. He's, he's done a lot to fix his game up, and you know, it showed last year. I mean, you don't you don't put up numbers like that without doing a lot of work. Yeah, a ton of upside there. Another guy with a ton of upside, Rasmus Ristolainen. In your mind, what is his ceiling, and is he going to get signed as, as an RFA still before this season starts? You know, I, I think they're going to get it done. Um, I think they get it done before the season starts because, you know, that, that's just the thing that has, it has to be done. Um, you know, I, a lot of the analytics people don't like his numbers, and, you know, I, I look at it as Rasmus being a guy, you know, he's paired with Josh Georges for two straight years. And, you know, Josh is a fine 
hardworking defenseman, but I don't, you know, I don't think anybody's going to mistake him for being a possession monster. But um, you know, those guys were facing everybody's top, you know, top line, top area, top everything for two years. And you, know, you remember two years ago, this was a team that was not winning games at all. And you know, this past year, it's it's still a hard assignment for those guys. You know, it's, you know, Josh can't wasn't able to you know totally keep up with things, or if they got hands in their own head, they were just kind of stuck. And, Know, but I think Rasmus, he's, he's number one with a bullet on this team. And, you know, he's either going to end up playing with Jake McCabe or with Dmitry Kulikov, and that's a pretty sizable upgrade as far as defense goes. But uh, they're going to get it done. The Sabres don't want to totally break the bank on this one, but it sure seems like that you know there's a middle ground to be found somewhere in that six to six and a half million dollar a year uh, area. But you know, Sabres are going to have some capabilities in the future. It's just. They didn't want to have to get a head flying start on it right now with risk line and I think you know teams getting away from doing being able to do bridge deals. It's kind of hurting the Sabres right now because you're looking at what two years you're going to have to get Reinhardt and Eichel resigned, and that's that's starting to get really uncomfortable at that point. But they'll get it done. It you know may not be the numbers the Sabres want, but it'll it'll get taken care of, and I think risk line will prove that he's worth it. Hey, Joe, let's, let's go back to one of the big off-season acquisitions, oh, the big one, Kyle Ocposo. Why was he considered a good fit for this team and a necessary addition? You know, I, I look at him as being one of those power forward types. And you could, you could argue that, you know, Vander Kane's one of those kind of guys, too. And, um, and I, I think Kyle's got the skills where, you know, he can score the goals, but he can also help his linemate score them, too. And, you know, you're, you're looking at possibly a line of him with O'Reilly and Ennis on that top line. And those are three guys that I, ho- I hope they all want to shoot because they're all guys that really like to help others score goals too. But uh, but I look at what Kyle does, and he's just been such a consistent player the last three or four years or so. And, you know, you look at what he's been able to do, and, you know, that that's a, it's a bit of an element that's been missing from the Sabres, I, I would say, where, you know, they were lacking another top six forward. You know, they go out and get a guy like Oposo. That, you know, that that figures that out as far as I'm concerned. You know, I, I look at a guy like that where, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a player that was missing. If this team's going to become a playoff team and go deep in the playoffs, they need more guys like that. And, you know, I think Oposo is just a, a dynamite addition for this group because he does a lot of those other things that, you know, maybe some, some other guys, you know, either aren't capable of or they just don't do – you know, it's not what their game is, is about. So I think Kyle, Kyle becomes like a veteran leader on this team right away, and, that, and that's something that a team filled with, you know, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds kind of needs. We're going to have James Mertle on in just a few minutes to talk about the Maple Leafs. That's another up-and-coming team in your area. Uh, Joe, in your opinion, how real is that Toronto-Buffalo rivalry? Is it is it one-sided? How much will Matthews and, and, and Eichel, that sort of that subplot, will that add to that rivalry? Well, I, I think if I were a season ticket holder, I'd tell you it's very alive and very real because no matter how good or bad these teams are, every every night in the stands for a, for a Sabres Leafs game in Buffalo is, is mayhem. I mean, it, it's like Mad Max Fury Road come to life in, in <laughs> the 300 level because, you know, Leafs fans, they're kind of priced out and buying tickets in Toronto, so they buy them in Buffalo where they're a lot cheaper. And, you know, man, you get the real sample of, of what being a Leafs fan is about and you know that mix is 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 something else. I mean, it's wild. It's been a little subdued recently, just because it's you know both teams losing. But I think with Matthews jumping into Toronto and you know the, the Leafs getting a lot of the attention for their rebuild and 
Leafs have been getting a lot of credit for doing it the right way. I think a lot of Sabres fans are really sore at thinking that Sabres did it the wrong way by tanking and, and all this stuff. And, you know, I look at it like you've got Eichel and Matthews who are best buddies facing off against each other for the next, you know, eternity. There's nothing but good that comes out of that for, you know, as far as a rivalry goes. You know, these Sabres games are an adventure no matter what. And it just adds to it. I, I think it's a great thing. I, I think once Toronto's a little bit better and once Buffalo's a little bit better, they. You know, if those two teams are duking it out at the top of the Atlantic Division for years to come. That's a great thing because rivalry has been kind of dormant for a while, but it's it's getting to that point where things are going to start getting interesting and they're going to be fighting for the playoffs. I think that's where the fun's really going to take off. I'm trying to interpret what you mean by a real sample of what it means to be a Toronto fan. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to go there, uh, well, do you? <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, I think I think when you're talking a real sample of a rivalry, I, I, you, you look at. I mean, I'm not going to put it on that, that Colorado Detroit level type of angst, but uh, Sabres fans don't like it when when Leafs fans come marching into town, drink all their beer, and, and start <laughs> shouting at them. So I, I think if the Leafs come into town and they're doing all that, the fans are still doing all that stuff in a playoff spot in the line. Well, boy, might, we might need to put a cage up in front of the press box to keep keep the. Uh, Keep it safe up there for us. <laughs> Get kind of like a Blues Brother thing with the uh, beer bottles flying at stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's gonna be like it'll be like Roadhouse. We're gonna have to, <laughs> we're gonna have to get uh, we have to get Dalton and, and the gang up there to keep us keep us safe. <laughs> hey, looking at last season, and he's taken some criticism, so uh, he's gonna be on this list. Who was more disappointing last year, Matt Molson or Zemgis Kirkinson's? You know, I, I think Zengis was a bit more disappointing because, you know, you come off the, I mean, the all-star season. And, but he played he played so well under Ted Nolan. And he just came out, he just just didn't seem to fit well with what Dan Bilesman was trying to do last year. I think that was more disappointing to see because he's still, he's still such a young guy. And you see what kind of player he is. And, you know, you're still trying to figure it out. Is he going to be like the third-line center type? He's going to be the power forward type who's just going to drive the net and be a pain. Is, you know, is he the kind of guy who can be like a Colbert Holmstrom type of player where he just parks in front of the net, makes everybody miserable, and and just you know the flex box and you know gets his body on everything. But uh, I, I think for for what he did last year, I think he was just kind of a square peg in a round hole type of deal because he just didn't seem to fit anywhere. They played him on the wing, they played him at center, they played him up in the lineup. You know, his, his best part of the year was when he was playing on the wing with Eichel, but that only lasted a few games. Or, you know, things kind of went sideways again. So, you know, this is a big this is a big year for Zengis. I think with Molson, it's, it's equally disappointing because he's being paid five million a year. Um, but you know, he hasn't he hasn't really lit it up like crazy. You know, but we'll we'll see what he does this season. I, I think I think for both Molson and Zengis, this is a big year because you look at Molson. He, you know, if things go bad again, he could be a buyout candidate next summer. And I think for Zengis, it's you know, it's one of these one of these spots where if he doesn't really evolve his game and, and get it back to where it was, you know, maybe he's just kind of a, a guy who gets lost in the ether and you know becomes a trade base type of player. But you know, as far as disappointment goes, I think fans were more let down by by Zemgus not taking that next step, especially when you had Eichel and Reinhardt doing it, you know, immediately, and then Zemgus kind of you know fell on hard time. Hey, Joe, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time and uh, have fun this season. Okay. Will do, guys. Thanks a lot. Good talking to you. All right, that's Joe Yurden, the uh, NHL.com Sabres correspondent.
joining us there to talk uh, some Buffalo hockey. That's a that's a pretty hungry market for some successful hockey, Craig. And you know, like we said at the start, hungrier of the show, than Toronto. Well, it's it's not as big as Toronto, obviously. In fact, I heard a stat. Were you there when, when this was brought up to me the other day? Apparently, the city of Buffalo, like Buffalo proper, is smaller than the city of Chandler here in Arizona, which is only going to make sense to people if they live in Arizona. But that is supposedly a fact. It blew my mind. That blows my mind, too. Yeah, that's that's, that's in terms of population or size? I think just size. That's crazy. Anyway, um, so the Sabres, that, that I think, yeah, obviously not as, as crazy as, as Toronto in terms of a market for hockey because it's just not as big. In fact, apparently it's not even close to as big. But it is close to Toronto geographically, and that is a very hungry fan base. And they've got a pretty fun team to watch, much like Toronto. This is another team that if they're on – and I'm just flipping through the channels, I'm going to take a look. It's not just because of Jack Eichel. If it was one player, I wouldn't be as compelled to watch, but they've got a few. You're talking to me, right? <laughs> yes, you're the only one here now. <laughs> Jamie's left us again? He's here, but he's not here. The hangover kicked in again? Yeah, he's, you know, he's working. Yeah, I, d- I don't know which of these teams intrigues me more. It's, uh, as, as you mentioned at the top of the show, these are two of the upcoming teams in the league. They both have... Potentially marquee centers. I, I guess it's, you know, being a local here in, in Arizona, Austin Matthews really intrigues me. And, and I think he's more in that vein of a franchise center, the guy that can really take it to the very top of the list, uh, over which I know we have some disagreement in this room. Oh, a lot. Just Yeah, just a little bit. But, but Jack Eichel, obviously one of the top two picks in the draft last year and, and with immense potential, two-way potential. Lots to be excited about on both of these rosters. And, you know, a couple of years down the road, these should be teams that are in the hunt for, if not playoffs, certainly playoff spots, but something greater. If Austin Matthews was, what, three days older, he would have been in that draft. Uh, you keep bringing that up. I do because – Sorry, Coyote fans. Yeah. It's a sore spot. But I, I, think, I think it's relevant here because a, a lot of people just seem to assume, like, well, if Austin Matthews was three days older, he would be a Coyote. Based on the scouts I talked to, Jack Eichel. Jack Eichel would be a Coyote. Yeah. Austin Matthews would be a member of the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. Um, either way, that's going to, to to me to be one of the most intriguing rivalries in hockey because they do enter into, as you mentioned with uh, with Joe, you know the Sabres Maple Leafs rivalry is a real thing. It's just it hasn't been on the radar lately. It's kind of laid dormant for the last however many years. Now you inject potential franchise centers into both teams, both American-born franchise centers. That's going to be a real intriguing rivalry. Yeah, and it, and as coaches will always tell you, you need the playoff matchups to really create a rivalry. Yes. You know, I think people in the cities are certainly aware of it. As Joe mentioned, Toronto fans coming down and buying cheaper tickets in Buffalo. I'm sure that sits well with Sabres fans. Yeah. But if these teams hook up in the playoffs, they could take it to an entirely different level, and then there would probably be more national or even international awareness of this rivalry. And that addition of Kyle Oposo as a potential power forward that can put in 20, maybe 30 goals, it's, Buffalo is, is going to be entertaining. I still have questions about the uh, goaltending situation. Specifically now, how did Robin Leonard lose 40 pounds if that's really what he lost? <laughs> that's just crazy. I'm still having a hard time with that one. That That's a lot of weight to just – was it really 40 pounds? Oh, I'm not there, but he just, Joe is. Yeah, even yeah. even if it's if it's not exactly 40, if it's 35, that's a lot. I, I want to get a sense of his diet before and after. What was he eating? How do you, how do you put on that kind of weight and then – how do you shed it so quickly? Well, before must have been uh, lard, just blocks of it, <laughs> and after it had to be like pine nuts or something. I, I don't know. Are you concerned at all about the uh, 
the super athletic goalie potentially getting hurt? That seems like a position where you just you need to be flexible and you need to be in shape, but you don't necessarily need to be able to beat up Chuck Liddell. Like that's <laughs> that seems like the sort of position where if you're that ripped, it's easier to pull a muscle. I, that would all depend on flexibility, of course. I, I mean, I, I when you look at some of the goalies that at least the goalies that I've looked at it, they're certainly not ripped. Yeah, it, it's, it's more like long lean muscle mass, and if he's truly ripped and tight, that yeah, that's a concern. But I, I don't know that without seeing. Robin firsthand. Um, you, you certainly want strength. It certainly helps you in goal. But as long as you're maintaining a balance there with, with flexibility, with stretching, with yoga and things like that. Pilates? No? Just yoga? This is, this is, he's back. Oh, this is, right. He's back. This is, this is bordering dangerously close on Craig going back into his thighs conversation. Thighs? Was it Did thighs or calves? Which, which I don't one think was, I was here for that? I don't remember this. This was a long either. time ago, but yeah. It's the hangover talking? Do you guys do? Yeah, do you realize this is <laughs> no, Craig no, Morgan, no, right? This, this happened. I have to go back I to talked about my calves? My no, calves or someone else's no, calves? No, players' calves. Who's I think you're calling? talking about their leg strand. I don't remember what oh, it was. Oh, was, was it Mikel Bodger? It might have been. They used to call him Quadzilla around here, yeah, so that's probably what it was. You went on about like a two minute conversation about his quads or calves or something. Oh, you know, and I know what it was. I compared Anthony Duclair. I said Anthony Duclair has the largest. You're right. And should I say this again? I'm not sure I should put this out there and, again. And then you stopped yourself and you went. Yeah, I did just oh, say that. Oops. Okay. Certainly a conversation that had to be repeated on the air since oh, absolutely. somehow I missed it the first time and I'm going to have to reprogram myself to forget when this. When you happened, think thighs, too. think Anthony Duclair. Is, can I get that pill from the Matrix where I can forget the last five minutes of my life? <laughs> Is that possible? All right, so that's it for Buffalo. That's how we're going to wrap up the Sabres. It's really how we should wrap up the entire show. Possibly the podcast permanently. This might have been the final episode, but it's not. So, uh, Craig, who do we have next week to wrap up the, uh, the, the summer preview series and get set for the NHL season? We have Kristen Olin from the Calgary Herald to talk about the Flames. We didn't get B this week. He's going to come on later in the Is he? year. Yeah, he's gonna be, he's told me he will. I'm right. going to hold him to it. You know, you know how we are. Yeah, I mean, I can't call him B, but he's he's a, he's uh, he's he will say what he means. He's going to be a great interview whenever he does come on. We are also going to talk Jamie Eisner's favorite team, the Boston Bruins, Save with Pluto Shinzawa over the Boston Globe, and that'll wrap it up. That'll be all of our team previews, including the Las Vegas something nights. And former Bruins uh, GM Peter Chiarelli will be in studio to sing a duet with Jamie. Is that or is that later in the year too? Later in the year. Okay, good. What, which piece have you chosen? Sweet Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I thought you were going to say something about trading top centers. I, I, cu- I couldn't think of yeah. something that worked that quickly, so I just went with just default. Yeah, I kind of want to see this, Sweet Caroline. If we can, Before we close, if I can find audio of Peter Chiarelli singing Sweet Caroline online, will you also sing it and then we can just a mix it together? A karaoke moment? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we want to lose all of our listeners, yeah. But we'll gain a whole new crowd of listeners. It's true. The, the quad listeners that, that Craig is appealing to. <laughs> the quiet. Muscle right. fitness. <laughs> that was uh, that was episode fifty three. If you if you made it this far, we'll talk to you next week for episode fifty four, previewing the Bruins Flames and getting set for the start of the NHL season. For Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hat Trick Podcast.